Hello and welcome to A History of Electronic Music, Part 3. Welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Paul Sheiky, and today I'm going to be talking about an, an instrument that I never thought of as an electronic instrument, but it was one of the earliest, and it's the Hammond organ. Um, I'm also going to be speaking later on about the world's first polyphonic synthesizer, which was the Hammond Novachord. Um, but first of all, the Hammond organ was invented by Lawrence Hammond in 1934 and it became publicly available in 1935. Technically speaking, it's not actually purely electronic, because it doesn't use oscillators. Instead, it uses tone wheels to generate the sound, to generate the harmonics, which create an organ-like sound. And this was the same method that the Telharmonium used back in 1899 and the early 1900s. And these tone wheels rotate beneath electromagnetic pickups, and Mr. Hammond noticed that the grooves or the shape of the tone wheel actually changes the timbre. And it's quite strange that this actually led to an, quite an organ-like sound. And it was marketed as a, a substitute for pipe organs in small chapels and churches that couldn't afford the full thing. But advertising it as an organ actually got the Hammond organisation into a, a bit of legal trouble. Because in 1937, the Advertising Standards Agency, or whatever it was called then in the US, took them to court. Because their adverts claimed that A, it was an organ, and B, it had infinite number of tones. And Mr Hammond decided to contest the case. And they did a test in the University of Chicago's Rockefeller Chapel where they played a Hammond organ alongside a pipe organ, which were both blocked off from a panel of 15 students and 15 professional musicians, so they couldn't see which was being played at the time. And 10 times out of 30, people identified the Hammond organ as the pipe organ, so they won the court case for that. However, they couldn't say that it had an infinite number of tones because somebody worked out it could only produce 253 million tones. And one of the main early uses of the Hammond organ was as a theatre organ in smaller cinemas because they used to have organs in silent cinemas and it sort of carried on into the 30s and 40s. And there used to be Wurlitzers really, which is a pipe organ, but electronically controlled. And the Hammond was a cheaper alternative for this. And it also had a, a lot of effects to it as well. So um, I'll give you examples of some of the music you might have heard played in, in the 30s and 40s on 
the Hammond organ in a theatre or cinema. This is Robin Richmond, and perhaps a, a precursor of the rave generation. This is a track called Ecstasy. Quite enough of that, I think. Um, a piece there played by Robin Richmond, not actually written by Robin Richmond. I'm not sure who wrote it. But it's from a CD called The Hammond Organist Entertains. And apparently in the, the mid-50s when that was recorded, um, the ABC chain of cinemas used to um, play 30 minutes of Hammond organ, in the, sometimes in the middle of long features or at the start of, start of other features, because they ended up paying less entertainment tax because it was classed as live entertainment. So a bit of a tax dodge there. Um, I'll play another thing by Robin Richmond, but because it, it features also the clavioline, which is another early electronic instrument, and it it's a, a two-octave, um, very small keyboard, very portable, battery-powered, very quite similar to the Casio ones of the, the 80s that became quite quite popular. And it was designed to be attached to the front of pianos, or a Hammond organ in this case. And it was also used, um, quite interestingly, later on, quite a few pop records, including the Beatles' Baby, You're a Rich Man. So if you've got that track, maybe listen out for it, and that's a clavioline playing there. But this is Robin Richmond, again, at the Hammond organ and clavioline, and this is Windmill Waltz. Thank you. 
Richmond there on the Hammond organ and the clavioline. Now it was recorded in the mid 50s, but it's really, in this context, just an example piece of that's what the Hammond was often used for. And for some reason, the Hammond organ seems to have got a reputation for being quite cheesy. I can't think why. Um, another early proponent of the the Hammond organ was a lady called Ethel Smith, who has been known as the first lady of the Hammond organ. And she's very much into Latin stuff, and she lived in South America for a while where she heard this particular tune, which is a big hit for her in 1944. And it's from a film called Bathing Beauty, which was a massive hit for the studio, apparently. And she actually starred in it as well, as herself, a music teacher at the Hammond organ. And this is Tico Tico from 1944. Smith there with her 
US number 14 chart smash from 1944, Tico Tico. Over the years, the Hammond Company obviously brought out various different models of their, their organ, but the one that is perhaps most famous is the B3, which was introduced in 1955, and it took performance to a new level. And the Hammond is a very expressive instrument in the right hands. For instance, there's draw bars that alter the note's fundamental tone, there's vibrato and chorus effects, and there's a percussion setting, which makes it sound a little bit more piano-esque because of the attack envelopes and things. Um, there's also a foot-controlled volume pedal, and if you add to that the Leslie speakers, which are a sort of auto-panning auto effect, which you can control the, the range of um, over the two speakers. Um, that's panning is left moving from left to right, by the way. And there's also a bass pedal board, which you basically play with your feet as well. So it, it's really quite a challenging instrument to learn. And it was the B3 that Jimmy Smith, the famous jazz musician, first played. And he liked it so much that he's been, now become synonymous with the promotion of the, the Hammond organ within a jazz community. And it never really been used in that context before. And I'm going to play some excellent playing by Mr. Jimmy Smith from his 1960 album on Blue Note. This is the title track of the album Midnight Special. Thank you. 
Jimmy Smith there at the Hammond organ in 1960 from his album Midnight Special, and that was the title track. Around about this time, organ trios were very popular. You had the organist, who also did the bass part with the, the bass pedals on the, the Hammond, um, a drummer and a guitarist. And if you're lucky, you'd get a saxophonist as well. Well, the next piece of music I'm going to play is a, another example of the way the Hammond was integrated into jazz. And this is a, a lot pacier, and this it sort of typifies a, a particular jazz sound of, of the 60s, really. This is um, from 1965, and it's by Big John Patton, and this is a track called Fat Judy. Thank you. 
Some excellent hammond organ playing there by Big John Patton. And also some excellent drumming by Ben Dixon. That was from the 1965 album Oh Baby. That's all I'm going to play of the Hammond organ tonight. Just as a footnote to the Hammond organ, they stopped producing tone wheel organs in the mid to late 70s because they can now produce the, the sound using oscillators. But they're still highly collectible, B3s especially, which are known as, as the best Hammond organ there is. Okay, moving on to the Hammond Novacord, which is technically the first polyphonic synthesizer, and it was invented in 1938 by Lawrence Hammond and C.N. Williams. And this was a, a real beast of a machine. It had a six-octave keyboard, it had 144 tubes for tone production, and then further 16 for amplification, it had 12 oscillators, which is even by today's standards is a huge amount, it had a polyphony of 72 notes, and polyphony, by the way, is the, the number of notes that can be played at any one time. And again, by today's standards, that is very good. It had five filters and a primitive ADSR envelope, which is a tack decay sustained release. And before any other people had even thought of that, but it was quite a primitive one that only had a certain amount of presets. It also had a vibrato effect. So you could basically get a lot of different sounds out of it. And it is... There's been debate about whether it was a true synthesizer, but I believe it was, and hearing some things from it, it sounds absolutely excellent. So now um, you can have a listen. This is from the album The Magic of the Novacord by Collins Driggs. This is Parade of the Wooden Soldiers, which is taken from a 1933 Betty Boop cartoon um, written by Leon Jessel, the music is, but it's adapted from March of the Toys from Babes in Toyland, um, an old operetta. And it's become quite a, a Christmas favourite, apparently, this, this particular tune. So this is Parade of the Wooden Soldiers, played on an overcord by Collins Driggs in 1940. <laughs> Driggs there from around about 1940 and from that I think although it's a very old recording you still get a, an idea of the richness and warmth of the Novacord sound obviously the valves probably had a lot to do with that another couple of examples now which I've um, joined together this is from a 
a, a Latin-themed album by Pedro Morquecho and his band called El Fabuloso Novacord. Don't know exactly the years this from, but it's it's got, got to be the early forties. And the two tracks are Las Jodias Muertas and Bahia. Original Novacord music there by Pedro Marquecho and his band from the early 40s. And integrated quite well into a Latin context there. Um, Unfortunately, in 1942, they ceased producing the Novacord. And there's two main reasons for this. The first one, it didn't sell particularly well. um, For the strange reason that it was too unusual for traditional musicians and organists to like. And it's too traditional for the more avant-garde musicians because it was housed in a piano case and it was marketed as a pop instrument. So it didn't really appeal to, to either of them. And it was also quite expensive. And the second reason was that the war had begun by then and the army needed valves and, and various things for, for radios. And the Hammond, Hammond organization decided to produce these for them. So between 1939 and 1942, only 1,069 Nova Chords were made. And there is a project to try and track all these down, find out what happened to them or where they are now. But I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. Continuing with the music, those of you that listen to part two will recognize the name Harry Revel and Samuel J. Hoffman, the thereminist. 
And I did say last time that I would play a different track off the album Perfume Set to Music. So here it is. This is a track from 1949 called Zigan, featuring again the Hammond Nova chord. And let me just read you the sleeve notes of this because they're very good again. Zigan, gay as the swirl of gypsy skirts, Zigan reflects the spirit of the caravan with its swift changing moods. Always in the background is a provocative spirit expressed in sound with sharpness and clarity. Zigan. again from the 1949 album Perfume Set to Music by Harry Revel, featuring of course Samuel J. Hoffman on the theremin. As we've seen through the previous parts of this podcast, electronic music has often been used in films and TV and that was one of its main uses up until the 70s really. So the next three pieces I'm going to play uh, are in this context 
The first one's some really groundbreaking electronic music from 1959, and it's by Nathan Van Cleve, and it was written for the, the TV series Twilight Zone, and it's from an episode called Perchance to Dream, and this also features a theremin, and it is a very effective piece of music. It's quite difficult to listen to. It's really quite disturbing. But here is some music from The Twilight Zone.
Some excellent music there from the Twilight Zone, the 1959 episode, Per Chance to Dream. Straight on with the music now, and the theme tune for the 1962 horror film, Carnival of Souls. This is by Gene Moore. Some music there from the 1962 film, Carnival of Souls. It's actually quite a good film. I'm not 100% sure if that was the Nova Chord, but it sounded quite a lot like it. But it had a very organ sound as well to it. So it's definitely one or the other. More music now from 1964. Uh, This is Harry Lubin, who wrote some music for The Outer Limits. And this is from the episode The Duplicate Man. And it features at the end a Nova Chord and Tritonium duet, which is a real rarity. sleeping here like that, we're closing up.
while he was coming to life, he was dying and not knowing it. I love you, princess. In all the universe, can there be creatures more strange than the species called man? He creates and destroys. He fumbles and makes mistakes. But the thing which distinguishes him is his ability to learn from his mistakes. Indeed. Some more disturbing music there from the Novacord and the Tritonium. And that's from 1964, The Outer Limits by Harry Lubin, that particular piece was. Um, one final thing from a TV series at that time, because I think we've heard enough of that now. Um, this is from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and this is actually by Jerry Goldsmith, uh, obviously a very famous composer now, and another electronic pioneer, because he used a Nova chord in this particular uh, passage from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea in about between 1965 to 1966. Here we go. Of the different effects you can get from an overcord there with that strange um, echo-like effect. Um, before I play the last Novacord piece of this program, I'd just like to say a thank you to Phil Sirocco, um, whose website, the Novacord Restoration Project, I've got a lot of these um, sound bites from, so thank you Phil. If you want to know more about the Novacord, there's a couple of websites I'd recommend. Um, one of them is www.recondite-media.com slash Novacord. That's R-E-C-O-N-D-I-T-E-media.com slash Novacord. And there's, there's history information on there, which is quite useful. And it's a very nicely designed website, although it's not complete, I don't believe. Um, and the Novacord Restoration Project is very good as well, because you can actually see a lot of good photos of uh, the Novacord, the the gargantuan size of it and the, the massive task that Phil Sirocco undertook to actually restore a Novacord back to its original condition. These you can see at www.discretesynthesizers.com slash Nova slash intro. Um, Phil Sirocco finally finished restoring the first Novacord in 2005 and one of the first things he played was um, this and this you can get on a CD from the Novacord Restoration Project website. This is improvisation number three.
a really beautiful sounding instrument, the fully restored Hammond to Nova chord. Um, sadly, not popular in its day, but never mind, we, we have at least some recordings of it. Now the last piece of music I'm going to play today is not Nova chord music, and it's not Hammond organ music. In, in fact, it's um, pipe organ music, but it is called Electronic Organ Sonata Number no. 1. And the reason it's electronic is that it was a pipe organ played by George Russell, the experimental jazz musician, in Grorud Church in Oslo in 1968. And then it was taken by the people at Radio Sweden and manipulated um, in much the same way as the stuff we'll, I'll be talking about in Part 4, which is tape music and other early electronic music studios, which is a lot more experimental and avant-garde. And this is definitely very much avant-garde, and it's very quite a strange piece to listen to. I'll only play a little bit of it, but it's really just a linking piece between organ music of part three of this podcast and the experimental music of part four. So here it is, George Russell. This is Electronic Organ Sonata Number 1 from 1969. There you go, an extract there from George Russell's Electronic Organ Sonata Number no. 1 from 1969. So that's it for part three. Um, part four, I'll be dealing with tape music, the music of John Cage, etc., but also some very early electronic music, but not specifically tied to any instruments. Um, we're talking about people who actually built their own instruments and built some very, very early synthesizers. And then often recorded them to tape and manipulated them. So some very interesting music next time. You can contact me by emailing me at shekel at hotmail.com. And that's the end of part three. Um, thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>